Abolition. Abolition. Now. Abolition. Abolition. Now. Let's get to these cracker-ass crackers. Okay, I dare you to get mad at me for calling these devils exactly what they are. Cracker-ass cracker is not a slur. It's an adjective used to describe racist, bigoted, prejudiced, oppressive, evil people who want to kill me, your mama, and your cousin, too, unless we lick their boots and suck their kneecaps like the Dr. Ben Carson's of the world. To Brian Kelsey... Frank Neasley, Janice Bowling, and Joey Hensley. Who are these people? They are four Republican senators, senators, senators too, who voted against abolishing slavery. There go Uncle Charlotte, just talking out his ass in 2021. What do you mean they voted against abolishing slavery? Slavery's been abolished. Oh, has it? Not everywhere. You better read the fine print of your state constitutions if you know what I know. Let's go to WM- M- let's go to WMC NBC5 for the report, please. Tennessee is one step closer to abolishing slavery, which is still allowed in the state constitution. Memphis Senator Ramesh Akbari sponsored the bill to prohibit slavery under all circumstances. Germantown Senator Brian Kelsey was one of four Republican senators who voted against removing the article from the constitution that allows slavery and involuntary servitude as punishment for people convicted of a crime. The state House of Representatives will vote on the bill that passed Tuesday. Slavery is still allowed in the state constitution in Tennessee. Would you like to hear why Brian Kelsey is voting no on abolishing slavery? Listen. Because it doesn't do anything one way or the other, I would urge my colleagues to blue light this resolution. I'll be voting no. I just think it's ultimately fake history that the 1870 constitution allowed slavery. Fake history. What the hell are you talking about, Brian? It's so fake, then why wouldn't you abolish it? Why would you want something fake in the constitution in the state constitution? Frank Nicely, would you like to hear why he is not abolishing slavery, Lincoln? Now, I'm a non-lawyer, and most of my voters are non-lawyers, and I can't explain this amendment in words they can understand. I don't understand it, and the Constitution is too sacred to clutter up with a lot of stuff that non-lawyers can't explain to other non-lawyers, so I, I guess I'll be voting no on this. Nobody plays dumb like a white man who doesn't <laughs> want to give you justice, okay? Frank acting like he don't understand. I tell you, Frank, your state constitution says slavery is still legal. We want to remove that. What's so complicated, Frank? Come on, Dramos, make me feel good. You know what I want to hear. Come on. Come on, come on. I, I am losing my mind in this country. Remember what I said earlier about my daily stoic affirmation? And we should feel blessed and grateful that we are able to reason and use logic. It, it, it is a gift, but whoa, it's also a curse when you hear stuff like this. These are elected officials. These people are in charge of legislation. If I was black in Tennessee, I would migrate north. And let the Dr. Benz of the world move to Tennessee. I mean, hell, if you're equating being a black conservative to being a slave, might as well go live where actual slavery is still allowed. How y'all colors feel knowing Tennessee has not legally abolished slavery? Okay. The state House of Representatives is voting on the bill today. There's a queen named uh, Ramush Akbari, I think is how you pronounce her name. If I pronounce your name wrong, I'm sorry. She is sponsoring the bill to prohibit slavery under all circumstances. How crazy is that in 2021 to even hear? Listen to her. This does do something because there's a difference between the word working and slavery. I've worked. I have never been a slave. That's a clear distinction. I'm proposing to close a loophole that has an exception for slavery for those who are duly convicted of a crime. And that's a strong message we can send as a state. Mm. What we are proposing is slavery and involuntary servitude are forever prohibited. Those who are incarcerated can still have a job like in the kitchen or the library. I would really ask that we, as a Senate, as a body, 
close this loophole. Remove, you shouldn't even have to ask. This shouldn't even be a thing in 2021, but it is. Why? Because this is America. A-M-E-R-I-K-K-K-A.
A resolution that would abolish all forms of slavery in Tennessee may be on your next voting ballot. Right now, Tennessee's constitution bans slavery, except as a form of criminal punishment for inmates. The proposed constitutional amendment now heads to the governor's desk after it was passed by the state house earlier this week. If he signs it, it will be on the 2022 ballot for voters to make the final decision. Abolition. 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 Yusuf, you might be on mute, brother. You just heard Charlemagne from The Breakfast Club on Power 105.1 FM in New York City, his segment entitled Donkey of the Day, which he gave to the Tennessee reps who voted no to abolish slavery in Tennessee, and that was followed by the hip-hop classic by Arrested Development, Tennessee. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 Eastern, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archives are available at abolitiontoday.org and on all major podcast platforms. My name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, Brother Yusuf. I'm here at the Paul Cuffey Abolition. Can you say that again? You were a little chopped up in your vocal. Oh, I said, I am, I said, peace. I am here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina. Oh, that's absolutely great to have you once again, Max. So last week was our first broadcast for National Poetry Month, and we honored the legendary wordsmith, Gil Scott Heron, who's the mentor to both you and I, and we discussed the critical role of proper perspectives. We know, like he knew, that the first revolution is when you change your mind. That's something that can't be televised. We shared some of Gil's music and poetry while tying it all together in a nice, neat slavery abolition boat, giving you more than the reasons to think, reconsider and replace what you thought you knew with what you'll know now. And as John Maynard Keene said, when I'm wrong, I change my mind. What do you do? This week, we're honored to have the members of United Tennessee to talk about their ballot measure to abolish slavery in Tennessee for the first time. Tennessee is one of five states so far that will give citizens the opportunity to vote to abolish slavery in 2022. We'll discuss the history of slavery in Tennessee, including the creation of the KKK, and much, much, much more. And as always, we'll have amazing poetry, music mixes, news, and updates on the abolitionist movement, and we'll bring the words of the abolitionist ancestors back to life for a new generation. So before we start, Max, tell us what you think of that opening track, and how's your week been, brother? <laughs> well, I think that track spoke for itself, man. And uh, sure. you know, in the beginning, it was showing that... Uh, first of all, if you vote no, you're going to end up on places like the Breakfast Club and more. And that's a huge circulation there. That's a lot of people that heard that uh, these right. four voted no. Uh, you know, So it's not like this is some little quiet thing that's happening. The whole country is watching. And, uh, of course, the classic right behind it, that was, that was very powerful. Ending, of course, with the news that 
they did get it on the ballot. Like it's on the governor signed it. It's on the ballot. You're gonna be voting for it in 2022. That was pretty awesome. Uh, as to my past week, uh, first I want to say happy anniversary, 35th anniversary to my beautiful wife, Tribal Rain. Today's Absolutely. our 35th Absolutely. anniversary together. Absolutely. Uh, I, yeah. I do not know how she's tolerating you for 35 years, brother. <laughs> you know, but you, yeah. you know I love you both for sure, bitch. Yeah, well, when I say forever, forever is what I mean. Um, so, yeah. But anyway, happy anniversary, baby. I know she's listening right now. Um, and then a bad note, uh, we just lost Brother Isaiah, uh, who got uh, Stewart. Mm-hmm. Isaiah Stewart, yeah, he just passed away a couple of hours ago. Um, for those that don't know, he spent like 46 years in prison, wrongfully convicted for the murder of his own wife. Um, and he was uh, released recently, uh, sick, 83 years old, um, nothing. They, would, they gave nothing to him. Um, he had to go through the whole lawsuit process at 83 ended up in a nursing home and we talked about it on one of our programs with uh uh with Gina uh from Gina Kenny right Gina Kenny when we did our Ohio program. So you can go back and check it out there, his story. Um but yeah, he just passed away today. So that's pretty messed up. A pretty big event just this weekend, right? Yes, and that was the highlight of my week. I mean I had a great week but then the highlight was actually going up to Northeastern University yesterday and speaking uh, on the prison, the, the prison to tech pipeline that we're creating at Emergent Works is where I happen to work as a software engineer. And, you know, we're just building this huge community, you know, that's our primary focus is, you know, ending recidivism, uh, uh, bridging the gap, that, that wealth gap that exists you know, bringing tech literacy to underserved and underprivileged communities. And so it was just a great opportunity to go up there and speak on that. Uh, We got a lot of great feedback from the audience. You know, it was just a great event. And, you know, we have other events coming up that I'll be talking about in the future. So that's, like I said, was the highlight of my week. Yeah, I like that phrase, uh, pipeline. <laughs> That's good. Man. That's good. Yeah. Well, you know, check check oh. your check your wires because you 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 skipped in a couple of times. Yeah, I've been noticing maybe it's a bad connection here in the middle of nowhere, um, possibly. Right. You're good right now. I mean, I guess that's what happens when you're in Sumter, South Carolina, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I know, right? In the place where the Civil War's first shots were fired. That's where we at right now. Um, right. So, you know, I, we got some guests today. I'm really looking forward to talking with them and hearing uh, their journeys in this abolitionist effort. So let's go ahead and bring them in. If you want to do the introductions real quick. Sure. So I'm going to start with Raheem Buford. He was paroled in 2015 after 26 consecutive years of confinement, a native Nashvilleian. Raheem has seen and felt how poverty negatively impacts people in the criminal legal system. Arrested at age 18, he lived more than half of his life in seven different prisons across Tennessee. During that time, he completed coursework for Lipscomb University, Ohio University, and Vanderbilt Divinity School. Raheem was 
a co-founder of SALT, that stands for Schools for Alternative Learning and Transformation, an inclusive undergraduate program that provides a safe learning space for non-traditional students at Riverbend Prison. While incarcerated, he also self-published his own book, Save Your Own Life. Upon his release from prison, Raheem received a presidential scholarship to American Baptist College and worked part-time as an organizer for Children's Defense Fund Nashville. In 2017, he founded Unheard Voices Outreach to assist currently and formerly incarcerated Navigate Reentry. Raheem graduated summa cum laude with a bachelor's degree in entrepreneurial leadership in 2019. He managed the Nashville Community Bail Fund from 2018 to 2021. Raheem uses his voice to advocate for decarceration and transformative justice. The other guest we'll have on is Reverend Jeannie Alexander. She's the co-founder and co-director of No Exceptions Prison Collective. She cultivates and collaborates with the earth to feed her community, is a writer, abolitionist, anti-fascist, midwife to the dying, a daughter, a partner, lover of all things wild, worships in bogs, and is a walker of rivers. And finally, Theda Murphy is an activist, counselor, and dreamer. She was born in Chicago in the 60s, and her earliest memories of rallies, marches, and community advocacy. She is a proud product of Oakwood University and Fisk University, both HBCUs. Her experience working as a crisis counselor in community health has given her a deep understanding of the mental health delivery system and the unsung heroes who are dedicated to helping the most vulnerable in our society. She is currently working, working as co-director for No Exceptions Prison Collective, where she uses all of her knowledge and skills towards abolishing the carceral state and healing the harm it caused. So welcome to the show, Raheem, Jeannie, and Theda. Welcome to Abolition Today with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. Thank you. Thank you for this, 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 this glorious moment. We're glad to be yeah. on. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you. That's that's my people's out of Tennessee, man. That's right, <laughs> you know, Tennessee. As you heard in the opening track, uh, they ain't playing. They kicking ass and taking names and calling out those uh, who would dare to say, "No, I don't want to abolish slavery." Like, why would you even? Why? First of all, why are we doing it now? And second, why would you say no? What do you think of our opening track? And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your efforts in this fight. You might be on mute, Jeannie. I'm sorry. I am off mute now. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Um, Wow. Yeah, that song, that opening song, brings back a lot. Um. Having and I, it was funny. I, I spent my summers in East Tennessee and grew up in Atlanta. Um, and that song hits more of a chord now than it ever has before. Um, mm. And you know how how I got involved in in this fight uh, just briefly. I, I met Raheem um, in prison in Riverbend. Um, in my for, former life. I was a lawyer who left the practice of law for theology, became uh, never expected to uh, chaplain there where he was, and we began to collaborate and dream uh, with a lot of other people on the inside and think about what advocacy from the perspective of insiders and their loved ones would look like one day. And um, 
And I'll never forget a dear friend of mine, Robert Kane, who has since passed, uh, was working up in the chaplain's office, and he had been an insider for decades, and told me, you know, that the 13th Amendment didn't abolish slavery. And like most people, and even I had a, a, a damn lawyer's degree, right, a law background, I thought, well, of course it does. And he uh, very thoroughly educated me. And I remember just thinking, oh, my God. And I went and did my own research, and my first thought was, why? Like, why? How can this possibly be? You know, at that time, it was like in 2012. Um and then when I left the prison in 2014 to start No Exceptions, uh, to co-found that with, with, with folks who were still on the inside and who had gotten out, that was basically our first order of business. thought, well, we're starting with our state, and that's where the name No Exceptions came from, is there should be no exception to the abolition of slavery. Um, and that's, that's in part how I got involved. Thank you very much, Jeannie. That's an amazing story. Um, I remember uh, Asada Shakur, she, when she said how she found out, a prison guard told her while she was in prison. You know, we all find out in various ways, but the thing that we have in common is the veils have been pulled over our eyes our whole lives. We've been lied to our whole lives. It's like no teacher knew that there was an exception clause in the 13th Amendment. Nobody remembered confiscating right. the missing link. You know, none of that was going on. And then we couldn't even count heads. In prisons go, you know, that's a lot of black people in prison. Are they all criminals? Is that what's going on here? None of that seemed to be happening for 157 years. Uh, Brother Raheem, uh, I want to ask you the same question, man. How did you get it? I think you broke up a little bit, but I, I'm, I, I, I can just say that I became aware of the 13th Amendment at um, – Fort Pillar Prison in Tennessee, uh, where more than 400 um, Union African American soldiers uh, were slaughtered. I was uh, studying, uh, trying to find a way out of prison, and it was brought to my attention by a brother, uh, Khalila. And uh, ever since then, I always wanted to do something about it. I wanted to participate in something, but you know, you get caught up in trying to get yourself out of prison. And so it kind of like faded, and like, and it, it it came back to focus back when you know when I met Jenny in at Riverbend Maximum Security Institution, and ever since then, you know, it's just been something on my mind. I actually wrote about it, a, a small statement about it in my book on page five. Um, I was thinking about it, uh, and that was in like 2015 before I actually got out of prison. So um, it was, I was in prison. Thank you, brother. Um, I want to ask you a quick question before I bring in our next guest. Uh, It's something I'm curious about. While you were in for 26 years, uh, I'm sure you met some people who were wrongfully incarcerated, right? Yes, I did. Um, Is is it possible for the wrongfully incarcerated to speak for all inmates when it comes to liberation and the rights uh, and, and vice versa? Like, is that is that how it works, or is there an area where wrongfully incarcerated and those who are uh, serving time, albeit excessive or under duress and in violation of the constitutions, ha- have a different story? Yeah. So 
it, it, it really all depends on the individual because like here in the state of Tennessee, uh, particularly in Nashville, I don't really know of many um, African-American males, men who, who are engaged in advocacy, abolition, and uh, talking about transformation and reformation and, and just deconstructing of, of the criminal legal system. And I don't think one person can speak for all people because being wrongfully convicted definitely would align an individual more with what happened um, to our um, ancestors who were enslaved on plantations, right? Because they did nothing wrong uh, to uh, be treated inhumanely as such. And um, I want to just go on the record and say that there's nothing that we're saying right now and what we're doing says that in any way that um, the current system of post-13th Amendment slavery is reflective of what our ancestors had to endure, the inhumanity. And I just want to put that on the record. But I'm definitely someone who um, is a voice for the voiceless in terms of those who are, are currently and formerly incarcerated. And I am in constant contact with people who are caged, and I am aligned with individuals who were wrongfully convicted and some who were convicted. And I don't even like that. Talk about convicted. And when you talk about someone who was prosecuted for a crime in America, I wonder if anybody is duly convicted. And I understand that people commit, commit harm, but let's get the record straight. Everything that we talk about as a crime today built this country, and nobody went to prison, and nobody did time, and no one was held accountable. And for all of the years that people had worked, you know, my ancestors, and no, and no one got paid. You know, that was that was a different type of robbery. So, I mean, it's it's important to have this conversation, and I'm I'm looking forward to going deeper because we we have to talk about the narrative in a way that's different than, than a textbook. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. All right. And our last question sure. is my sister, Theta Murphy, who is a member of the state operations team. We meet along with states all across the country on a weekly basis to make sure that we all win to work together. So uh, welcome, Theta. Uh, for you. You were breaking up. I wasn't sure what you, what you I, just said. I don't said. know why I'm breaking up today. I'm going to have to call in instead of using my mic. So once we go to the next break, I'll do that. Uh, if you can hear me, I was saying that there's fight. Okay. So what, Ma- what, Max, yeah, what Max is asking, just basically the same question that was given to the previous uh, two guests about how you got involved in it, just any feedback that you had on the uh, opening track? Uh, well, I'll start with the feedback on the opening track. That brings me um, back to memories of when of when I first moved to Tennessee uh, from Georgia. And I came um, to Nashville, the home of the, the Civil Rights Movement, and uh, I was ready to, to work and do some work. And I was really disappointed that, uh, well, the movement wasn't what I thought it it, it would have been when I moved here. Mm. (laughs) So um, I came to this work. I met you 
2016, 2017, um, and I met her because... I was involved with police abolition because we had had, the police had murdered a young unarmed man, a police and we were fighting for accountability for that murder and for police accountability in, in general. And so Jeannie joined us in that fight, and in working with Jeannie, um, I came to learn and eventually, I met Raheem after he was released. I met him eventually. Uh, and I learned from them that slavery was not abolished. And then everything that I know, or I had learned from being a um, mental health practitioner, a crisis counselor in jail, um, and in the police department, which is where my first job was as a crisis counselor in the police department, and providing mental health to people who are caged, it makes sense because the state uses views them as property and as such does not want to provide quality care to them. So that was how I came to to learn and understand the ramifications of what it means for someone to be a property of the state. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, right, can you guys hear me now better? Yes. 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 Okay. Uh, I'm on my phone just like you. <laughs> Sometimes the tech, even the good stuff, don't work the way it's supposed to. My apologies. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of racism that comes up out of Tennessee, and historically, like as we mentioned in our promotions, this is the birthplace of the KKK. And just three years ago, Governor Bill Lee, uh, was talking about uh, how he wanted to have Nathan Bedford Forrest Day uh, and also uh, Robert E. Lee Day and Confederate Declaration Day uh, to recognize and celebrate what can only be called as traitors to the country and slavers and murderers and monsters. So how does that make you feel, Peter? And what do you think is some of the things we could do to to either get these people the hell up out of office or help re-educate people about the truth. So um, I have regrettably spent way time in our um, not-so-hollowed halls of government at Tennessee State Capitol. And um, what I've learned is that, that is that's just common. It is common that our state legislators have these outdated racist views and in many ways are still fighting the Civil War. Um, so Bill Lee, I remember when he was talking about that, and he was catering to just the most racist reaction, fascist wing of his party when he was doing that. Um and this is the, the political environment that we are operating in. But yet we are still having success. So. Yeah, it's the kind of uh, political arena where they say things like, we wouldn't practice slavery, that's crazy. And then at the same time want to celebrate slavers. Like, uh, it's, it's a confusing yeah. thing. Yeah. Let me read a little bit about the first Grand Wizard. Uh, Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest lived 
a life defined by racist violence. While his defenders insist the Wizard of the Saddle became a champion for civil rights after disbanding the Ku Klux Klan, his history as a plantation owner, slave trader, and convict leaser tells the real story. He made a fortune as a plantation owner and then as a major slave trader at his Negro Depot. Man, I bet you they had a whole lot of marketing going on with that one. The Negro Depot in Memphis during the 1850s. He led troops who massacred hundreds of black Union soldiers and including killed women and children after they surrendered at Fort Pillow in 1864. He was named the first Grand Wizard of the KKK after its founding in 1865, which was in direct uh, response to the 13th Amendment. And he was an early pioneer in convict leasing, first for his failed railroad ventures and later on for his penal farm on President's Island, where he leased prisoners from Shelby County until his death in 1877. So this guy was one of the leaders of the transformation of slavery from the individual owning them to the state owning them, and they want to celebrate him. Your thoughts on that, Jeannie? I'm right here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that is and that's what we have in Tennessee and in America, right, is we have an unbroken line from chattel slavery to carceral slavery. I mean, it is not a coincidence that the home of CCA, Corrections Corporation of America, is here in Tennessee um, and is in Nashville, you know. And when you are aware of it, you still see how freaking <laughs> – I'm trying to watch my profanity. Can I, can I do that here? Because um, that's my uh, – You can do whatever you want to. We do not censor okay. our artists or our guests. Okay, it is so fucked up every single day here, you know, and that's one of the things that Theta and I have collaborated on for years as well is battling what's now known as core civic, right, um, and and trying to work to raise awareness. And our community is pretty aware. Our grassroots organizers are aware that that's exactly what we have, right, with, with core civic. We have – you're not – trading numbers on NASDAQ. You're trading people's bodies. You're trading in human flesh today uh, in Tennessee corporations. Um, and so I listen to that history, and I think about Pulaski, Tennessee. Um, and then I look at where we are currently in the reality of, of the world here in Tennessee. Um, and, of course, this is where the KKK is from. Um, and if I could just say, too, you know, that is also not a thing of the past. You know, in 2020, during the uprisings, uh, a number of us worked kind of up and down the East Coast um, and throughout uh, and down into Georgia um, dealing with these fascist organizations, you know, that Theta called out a minute ago. And the Klan is alive and growing in Tennessee today. So so i just saying that none of this is surprising, uh, the governor that we have, uh, with the racist governor that we have. I mean, because this is still today. This is not history. It's now. Exactly. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Max. No, go ahead, brother. I, go ahead. I'm glad uh, Jeannie brought that up, you know, about Pulaski, Tennessee, because we know that just recently a person's uh, conviction got over, overturned because of a practice that they have there in Pulaski courts where there's an issue where the jury was issuing its final verdict deliberated in a room marked with Confederate symbols and memorabilia in the uh, courthouse there. 
and the most visible item inside the deliberating room of the uh, historic Pulaski Courthouse was a framed Confederate flag hanging on the wall directly across from the door. And they also had uh, a picture of Jefferson Davis, uh, to those who don't know, that's the Confederate president, and as well as a, a framed letter from the United Daughters of the Confederacy. You know, and just to give the breakdown of Pulaski, Tennessee, for those who aren't aware, it's 7,500 people, roughly 74% white, 21% black. And it's the uh, what the court said in this case, it said the court's review of the Articles of Secession and the Confederate Constitution determined that the presence of the Confederate flag in the room not only defended slavery, but it endorsed its fully uh, using dehumanizing and racist language, and it was an attempt to perpetuate the subjugation of black people. And so they said it was an intimidation tactic, that it was, one, reminding the whites, like, this is our legacy, and it's telling the blacks, you know, reminding them also, this is our legacy, and you know what happened here in Tennessee. So uh, if, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I just want to uh, ask... Raheem, a quick question. You mentioned that you were at Fort Pillow. Did you did you that's say correct. Fort Pillow? That is okay, correct. right. And so, right. And so that's what we just heard when uh, Max mentioned about uh, Fort that uh, Nathan Bedford led troops who massacred hundreds of Black Union soldiers right there at Fort Pillow in 1864. Right. So. I just wanted to throw that into the conversation, Max. All right. Um, I got a question for you, Brother Raheem. Um, in those prisons, is there ghettos in the prisons? <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I just want to be aware that, you know, the original um, um, etymology of that terminology, you know, dealing with the Jewish right. uprising. I, I want to acknowledge yeah. that first be, before I speak. I was, was kind of using Tupac's paraphrase. Right. You know? right. And, I, and, I, and I understand it, but I just want to make sure that the listeners understand that as we have this conversation, we are very much aware of historical meaning. And so um, there is what we would call ghetto and urban um expression within the prison system it, itself within Tennessee. And this is back okay. west where you have Hardeman County, West Tennessee High, and um, Whiteville, where they have a concentration of young black males in these private prisons that, that are ran by CCA. And um, if they are the most violent prisons, um, they are um, most people are removed from you know, where they may have grew up at in the state of Tennessee, if they are from Tennessee, pushed back west. And, um, yeah, man, it, that, 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 that terminology exists. But, but I want to make a statement uh, to your previous point because I spent the majority of my young life at Turney Center Industrial Prison and Farm, which is in Hickman County, Centerville, Tennessee. And as you go into – you go up like a flight of, like, concrete stairs, maybe over – 70, 80 uh, steps. Um, you walk into a place where we're about to go into the visiting gallery, and there, there was a picture of Nathan, Nathan Bedford Forrest and General Lee on the wall. And in this at this particular prison, which had a farm, 
uh, there was a paint plant, a wood plant, uh, a sign plant, and insiders would work for any number of 20 cents to a dollar an hour. And so the practice of exploiting um, poor black bodies and white bodies as well is, is, is something that, that happens within the uh, Department of Corrections in Tennessee. So I just want to lift that up. Thank you, brother. Uh, there's two things about the Tennessee's, Tennessee's history with slavery and then the transformation of slavery or what we know now as convict leasing and warehousing bodies. Uh, I just want to read a little bit of an article, and then I want to share a piece of music with you guys, and uh, we'll come back on the other side and continue talking. Uh, I do want to ask you one quick question collectively. We have a two-hour program. Uh, our guests can stay an hour or the whole two with us. Uh, just let me know in advance so we know what we need to do. Uh, I'd like to have you guys hang out with us for a couple of hours for the full uh, show, but if you can't, I would understand. Uh, is anybody going to be able to stay with us throughout the uh, longevity of the show? All right. I just want to make sure I give you – yeah, uh, I hear you. Yeah, no, I, I'm going to have to go. <laughs> okay, so you're with us till 8? No, I, I'm – I'm with you to about 7.15. Okay. All right. I just want to make sure I know we're going to give you an opportunity to have some final comments with us and uh, provide us with any information that you want to. All right. So let me read this real quick. Uh, After the Civil War, Tennessee and other southern states exploited the loophole of the 13th Amendment to reinforce white supremacy using unpaid black labor to rebuild the state's economy. In 1866, the General Assembly enacted Chapter 34, which allowed the penitentiary to lease out the labor of convicts for an initial period of four years. And then in 1870, the law was expanded to allow convict leasing anywhere in the state, including mines and railroads. Contractors, such as the Tennessee Coal, Iron, and Railroad Company, received incredibly cheap labor for which the state was paid a lump sum. Prisoners, most of whom were black, Men who had been arrested for petty crimes received no compensation for their work in a system that some historians have called worse than slavery. In East Tennessee, where the main industry was coal mining, free laborers opposed the practice of convict leasing as a threat to their economic interests. They still are, guys. In 1871, free laborers in Tracy City were on strike for higher wages and the abolition of convict leasing. Twenty years later, in 1891, the Coal Creek Rebellion broke out in the Cumberland Mountains. For over a year, miners attacked and burned local prison stockades, releasing prisoners and sending them on trains to Nashville and Knoxville. The governor sent the militia to stop the uprising, and hundreds of miners were arrested. By 1897, Tennessee had shifted away from convict leasing, but the state continued to work prisoners in its own coal mines. They still continue to work prisoners, and not only that, they found a new trick where you don't need to work anymore. They just need to collect the body and put it in a cage, and they collect money for doing so. Um, let me go ahead and uh, give Theda an opportunity to give us any final comments. Uh, I appreciate you being able to come with us tonight and, and enjoy this time. I did want to talk further, but we'll have you back on again in the future. Theda? I listen faithfully every week, and um... – I am uh, so happy that we, we have had this opportunity to be on and talk about what we have going here in Tennessee. Um, 
we have been able to get this passed and to get other things passed through uh, through a deeply read state legislature against all odds. And it's because, you know, we have we have the spirit of our ancestors pushing us on. We have a long legacy of um, resistance, you know, some of which you were just um, reading there with the Cold Creek Rebellion, and um, um, we have uh, the history of Ida B. Wells and the anti-lynching campaign. And Tennessee is a place that, you know, is leading, is leading the resistance in this in this time, and um, you know, we appreciate the the support we get from you, Max, and the education that I get from you, Yusuf. Every time I listen to you, I learn something new. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I'm hoping that um, we will be back on, and um, I'm getting ready to go out of town, so I really need to to get off. Tonight, but I glad I'm glad you had us on tonight, and that we were able to make this happen. A word. We're going to talk about Tennessee the whole show tonight, and thank you so much. Oh, you are indeed a modern day slavery abolitionist and a hero. Uh, one of those people that are getting it done, along with the rest of your team there, and the people who support your efforts. Like you said, against all odds, in Tennessee, leading the way. Uh, if you're out there listening right now, you need to give a round of applause. Thank you so much, Theta, and hopefully I'll talk to you uh, soon in regards to our plans for Vermont. <laughs> we got a trick coming up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Peace, sister. All right. All right. With that being said, what I want to uh, – hello? Yeah, what yeah. I want to do is – We're my, all here. Is that Raheem? You had something you want to say? No, no. I was just saying that I'm still here. Okay, good. And, Jeannie, you're still here, right? I'm still here. Okay, awesome. Well, with everybody being here, let's go ahead and play some music. Uh, We'll tell you what it is on the other side. You'll know automatically. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org, with Max Parsons and Yusuf Hassan. And today we are with uh, the Abolish Slavery Tennessee family. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. Kanye West actually has a very political point in one of his new songs. It's called New Slave, and he talks about something that you don't typically think about within a rap song, private prison, something we talk about on The Young Turks quite often. So I want to read you some of his lyrics, and please excuse me for sounding like a white girl who does not sound cool while she reads Kanye West. (laughs) Um, But he says, meanwhile, the DEA teamed up with the CCA, that's Corrections Corporation of America. Uh, They're trying to lock niggas up. They're trying to make new slaves. See, that's... That's that private-owned prison, get your peace today. So I love the fact that, you know, he's talking about something that's a real problem in the country. It's been a real problem in the country since the 1980s when authorities realized, oh my God, our prisons are overpopulated. We don't know what to do. Um, And it's because we're arresting so many people for nonviolent drug offenses. And of course, these corporations start popping up and they say, well, you know what? We can make a lot of money off of uh, imprisoning these people, nonviolent or violent, who cares? As long as there's profits to be made, let's do it. it. Um, And because of these ridiculous drug laws, you're seeing that a disproportionate amount of blacks and Latinos 
are getting arrested, prosecuted, and locked away for nonviolent drug offenses as opposed to white people, okay? And there are statistics to back it up. Even though uh, more white people will smoke marijuana, more black people will get arrested for it, and more black people will spend time in prison for it. Um, so I like that Kanye West has this new song called New Slaves because this is a this new, is a form, new of form of slavery, where we will lock up people of color, and at that same time, we will force them to work for a few cents each hour while they're in prison. Is it is it more like indentured, I mean, it's I mean, slavery, but yeah. indentured servitude? Do, do prisoners actually make income, even if it's significantly yeah. below? They do, yeah. The, they do? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. What do they do with it? Is it like just to I think barter it held for it account for after they oh, leave. for after they're released. Yes. I see. Uh, but it is significantly below the minimum wage. Yeah, yeah I mean. uh, it's as little as 25 cents an hour. Oh and, and also, if the prisoners refuse to work, they can be held in isolation. isolation. Mm-hmm. So it is slavery. So yeah, slavery. I mean, yeah. And yeah. they are, you know, there are acts of violence committed against them. If they don't work, I mean, I personally think that putting somebody in a hole, you know, putting somebody in isolation is cruel and unusual punishment. I've been against that for a very long time. To me, that's, that's no, different no different than, different like, than whipping, like whipping somebody. somebody. You know what I mean? It's, it's, breaking, it's breaking them. them. It's yeah. breaking them so that they'll, so then, they'll then follow orders. So I want to give you guys specific stats because, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, this is happening. It's another thing to be detailed about it. Um, you know, the entire U.S. population, uh, while the entire U.S. population is only 13.6% black, 40% of its vast prison population, over 2.5 million people, is black. In 2010, black males were incarcerated at a rate of uh, 4,347 inmates per 100,000 U.S. residents of the same race and gender compared to 678 inmates per 100,000 uh, white males. Wow. Wow. Yep. And I bet we wouldn't be all that surprised to find that much of that disparity is probably due to the drug war. Um, yeah. But also, I think that a lot of people will be quick to discount the message in this because of Kanye West and it's, you know, it's a song. But I mean, I think that would be that would be unnecessarily discounting the history of political rap. Like that has always been a big part of rap, hip hop. All of that is is a message about what's going on that's not covered on CNN. And that's exactly, totally true. Yeah, I mean, it's music coming from a culture spoken by somebody who I think mm-hmm. has more legitimacy to tell that story. And I think mm-hmm. that that's what's so important. It's actually, it's actually educating, educating a people, a people who, who hopefully know about it, but may not. And it's a way to get through instead of a white lady with pretty hair t- telling the story on CNN. Story. Once again, the man, Kanye West. <laughs> Mama was raised in the era when clean water was only served to the fairest skin. Doing clothes, you would have thought I had help, but they weren't satisfied unless I picked the cotton myself. You see, it's broken, go raise some nests that don't touch anything in the stove. And it's written, nigga, raise some nests that come and please my mama. What you want? A Bentley fur coat? A diamond chain? All you blacks want all the same thing? It's the only big nigga.
I think as black people, sometimes we, we don't want to think about slavery anymore because we still have the trauma. And as white Americans, I don't think they want to deal with it because of the guilt and because the issue of justice has yet to be fully addressed. And when you have this, 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 what we call original sin in America that we're still dealing with, you know, centuries after people were uh, kidnapped and, and, and took across the seas and changed into a whole nother people. Now, we're talking about a black people unlike any other black people on the planet because of what happened to us. And so, yeah, when you hear that truth, you, you got to bow and you got to appreciate that. And that's how I feel. Yeah, Kanye came out early on this uh, issue, even about talking about the 13th Amendment, uh, when people thought he was crazy for saying it. They just didn't understand. Uh, but I believe that Kanye West is the reason that CCA changed their name to Core Civic, because after that, they became famous. The CCA, who was the CCA? People wanted to know who CCA was. They knew who DEA was. And then when they realized it was this private prison, uh, that brought a lot of attention to CCA. Everybody started investigating and writing reports and talking about what was going on with these private prisons, which are basically hated in America now. Like everybody knows that prison for profit is wrong because it creates a demand for prisoners. And the history of the United States shows that we're very willing to criminalize people in order to fill those beds and make that money. And it's always about that dollar and control, like you just said, brother. Uh, and on a racist level, uh, you know, only in in Tennessee, black people only make up 18% of the population. That's all men, women, children, babies, all of them put together. But in the prison population, they represent 42%, and that's primarily men. About 38% of that is men in the prison population when they only make up, what, like uh, 9%? Of the general population, it's outrageous. Uh, Ian, you still with us, Jenny? I am. It's just, I mean, the fact you bring that up—that is exactly what I was thinking about right now. I was thinking about the statistics uh, the Young Turks were giving, and thinking about how that overlays with Tennessee. And you know, it's even worse than that too. When you go to specific counties, so for example, you go to Shelby County where Memphis is. And you take just what the system refers to as youthful offenders, folks who are 25 and younger in the system who have received a life sentence, 98% are black. 98% of youthful offenders who have received a life sentence out of Shelby County. And Davidson County, where Nashville is, it's not that different. It's it's right around 97%, 96.8%. And that's just, I mean... That's why this is so important and why this is the show. I really appreciate you all giving us this opportunity and already knowing, I mean, the state is infamous as well as as it should be. Um, And I know that Raheem is uh, more aware of this than I am, but I was thinking about how I drove up toward to a Northwest prison in the far Northwest corner of our state uh, last year. And, um, you know, this is just to say, uh, yeah, fuck core civic, and also not to let the state prisons off the hook at all either. Because when you go to Northwest and you look around, it's cotton fields for miles mm-hmm. and miles, and miles. Mm. and that prison in that small town's newspaper 
uh, the past 10 years, I found an article in the archives where they were bragging about the hundreds of thousands of quote-unquote volunteer hours their, quote, their prisoners put into the community. Um, and it's in those fields. And, um, yeah, I mean, so those statistics are horrible, and they're even worse when you look even closer in in this state, uh, which is why we have to get uh, the enslavement of people the fuck up out of our Constitution. That's, that's the number one thing we got to do uh, because it's never been done before. We don't even know what Tennessee looks like without protection for slavery in the Constitution because whenever it's challenged, that's always the defense. Like, we can do this. We can force you to work. We can hold you as property. We can take away your voting rights. We can take away your constitutional rights, all because it says it right here, not only in the federal, but in our state constitution, that if you become duly convicted, you belong to us. You don't possess any of the rights of normal citizens anymore. And it doesn't matter what you're convicted for to just take away your humanity like that. Uh, help me out here, Brother Raheem. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about it. So let me just say this. In the state of Tennessee, they, they call what you just spoke about taking humanity and um, dealing with that issue, the highest authority in the state. We're talking about Tennessee's constitution, right? And so they call it collateral damage when you are processed through this criminal legal system. And whether you plead guilty or whether you're found guilty um, by a jury, not of your peers, but of how you, you know, they pick. And what you're not told, even before you plead out, is that part of your citizenship will be removed. What you're not, what you're not told is, is that if you survive prison in the state of Tennessee, if you live to, to get out of prison, that you're going to enter into another form of a social prison that that um i i i call it felonism which is the 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 legal social economic not only discrimination but oppression and suppression of individuals who have felony convictions and so when i think about the fact that they say i would never vote that i i'm permanently uh 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 they called it they said i'm permanently um, disenfranchisement. They use this term. Say that again. Disenfranchisement. That's too nice. When you say that, even though I understand that's what they say, but they said I was purged, purged from the voting mm-hmm. uh, roster. Purged from and, the voting you know, polls. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I also, yeah, you're right. you know, why, yeah, and so, yeah, because see what that sounds like is somehow that I did something to lose uh, my citizenship, and, and I'm, I'm, I, like, I, I appreciate this platform to put more information out. First of all, I didn't commit treason. That happened January right. 6th, and, and I don't know right. what's going on with, with that right now. I did not commit sedition, okay? Right. Facts of my case, when you look at it, at the most, it was a second-degree murder. At the least, it was, it was manslaughter, but because Tennessee elevates a felony where someone dies during the course of, of a felony, they elevate that to first-degree murder, even though there is no premeditation and deliberation, right? Now, okay. we go to prison. We go to prison as a punishment. That's what happens, and it's written into the law. Like, 
you commit this particular act, if you get convicted, there's a sentence that comes with that, and your punishment is to go to prison. To remove citizenship, this is a whole nother level. This is not even about criminal now. This is democracy. Mm-hmm. And any, this is a threat. This is a threat to democracy because when somebody can legislatively with ink and, 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 and signatures take away your humanity in terms of your rights, when your, 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 your right, it, let's just talk about voting, not that I'm talking about voting, but I'm just saying that that should be more sacred than or equally sacred than the Constitution itself because without citizens, you don't even have a nation. And I understand that black people in America were um, amended to the Constitution to be able to vote, amended to the Constitution to even be considered uh, human, but at human. the same time, mm-hmm. dealing with this in the 21st century, this is a, this is a real problem. Yes, uh, six to ten million people can't vote because of felony convictions. That's bigger than the population of many nations on earth, six to ten million people. That's not counting the ones who died never having the chance to vote because they had been stolen from them through this unconstitutional act that occurs when you are duly convicted and suddenly become subject to slavery uh, and are treated as property after that. And it's a lifelong thing in many states. There's 24 states that I know of where you can't vote for life if you've been convicted of a felony. There's a few you have to go through some very difficult uh, tricks and jump through some hoops and you might be able to get it. But that is completely unconstitutional because these people are paying taxes. And what are you paying taxes for if you can't even vote? You can't participate. You can't collect any of the uh, things that come along with being a citizen. And your rights now are open to all. You, you you have no rights anymore. So if they want to come search and seize your house, yeah. they can do that. Mm-hmm. If they want to, uh, you know, check your record at any point, they can do that. They can just uh, collateral consequences, uh, as you were saying right. earlier, way beyond after you've paid your debt to society. Right. Even right. just right. trying to get jobs, being discriminated right. against. And these things right. have right. ripple effects. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and yeah, right. Go ahead, Yeah, I just want to say one other thing too, because um the idea that I'm I'm a modern day slave because I am on parole. I was caged for twenty six years of my life, more than half of my life. I longer than, than I've been in the so called free world. And that's still the fact today. And um my body is counted during the census. And money is allocated, federal dollars are allocated to areas where people like me exist, whether we're in prison or out of prison. And uh, you count the body, but you don't count the vote. But I think it's it's something, even though we're talking about slavery, abolishing it, but just the voting thing, in in Israel, when the uh, prime minister, uh, I think it was – his his last name was Rabine Rabine when he um when he was yes, assassinated. Rabin. Yeah, that's him. His, the guy mm-hmm. that, 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 that was convicted of killing him, he still voted in, in, in prison. And not only that, they that people they vote in the Czech Republic, in Denmark, in France. I just mentioned Israel, Japan, Kenya, the Netherlands, and Zimbabwe. I mean America, you know, North America, I should say, because there's a South America. North America, and the so-called United States of America. It's clear that this 
voting thing and this slavery thing is, is connected. Because uh, Jeannie mentioned it earlier. There is a line, a historical line, from the plantation all the way to mass incarceration. And mass incarceration is what post-13th Amendment slavery is about. That's one of those things that, like you said, it's a too nice of a word. We don't even use that around here, mass incarceration. Right. Because it implies that this thing is happening equally across the country, and that's not the case at all. Uh, It doesn't add any criminality or accountability to it. And point and say, look what's happened to these people and these are the ones that doesn't do any of that. Uh, so we stick to slavery because whether you're guilty or innocent don't matter. The minute you're convicted of a crime, you belong to the state. Mm-hmm. Slave of the yeah. state. Slave of the state. Civilly yeah. dead. And I, and, yeah, yeah. And I like that. I like the, the direct language. That's why I say caged. I'm also aware of how psychologically people are turned away, even though this is truth. And it's constitutionally true, whether it's the United States Constitution or Tennessee's Constitution, somehow people can turn away because they associate slavery um, with the plantation and with uh, bullwhips and with um, people living, you know, subjected in a way where they're working for free. And that's, 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 that's how people are thinking. And so, you know, when we're talking about mass incarceration, you know, that's like this sanitized way of helping people to come along. But I get what you're saying. It it, it, it definitely is true. Yeah, yeah and uh, the uh, courts, sorry. I was just going to add, the courts have made that clear distinction. So they said that the 13th Amendment was to remove the badges and incidents of slavery, you know, what they called African slavery in the uh, civil rights cases in uh, 1871 when they made those rulings that it was just to remove that. But at the same time, the courts have said because of the exception clause of the 13th Amendment and because Section 2 gives that power of the what to do about it to Congress, that the courts' hands are tied. And so that's why we have to use that clear language of saying that it's slavery because that makes the connection and – I know, Max, you have a question, and then I'll come back with the question I had because I wanted to go in and start talking about Tricor, the modern-day slave plantation in uh, Tennessee. I want to give Jeannie a chance to get into the conversation of what we were just talking about with disenfranchisement and stuff like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. The next part, if that's right. So, Jeannie, uh, any comments you have in regards to, as you said, like stealing people's humanity and also – do you sometimes feel like you're running against a brick wall when it comes to really expressing people the honesty of what's occurring here? Not what they think is happening, but really what's happening and why we need to do this. Yeah, uh, I do feel like I'm running against a brick wall sometimes. I think we all do. But, I mean, I think we run this wall with sometimes, you know, a sledgehammer and sometimes uh, with just a pickaxe, but you keep running at it. And, <laughs> yep. you know, the the reality, you know, to see um, is that, you know, we've got about 6 million people, 6.8 million people in the states or population. Over 450,000 people have been stripped, like, just thinking about the numbers, stripped of their right to vote, taken, like, and the, in the attempt to silence them, right, in the attempt to say, no, you don't have a voice in democracy, but these are the same people who still think the political voice 
is given at the ballot box. So, you know, when you take people's right away to be a full citizen and to exercise that at the ballot box, and you don't leave people any choice but to find another way to exercise that. Um, and I'm just, yeah. I, I, and, 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 you know, and I think that, you know, what you said, too, just going back to breaking it down to make it simple, I think it's really straightforward. If you vote against the ballot initiative in this state in November to make the abolition of slavery universal, if you vote against that, then what you are doing is voting for slavery. You are voting for, you are casting a vote to say that you want to maintain slavery in the state of Tennessee, and there's no way you can clean that up. And so I think that's something that we're working really hard to do and we'll continue to do to make that super clear. This isn't symbolic. This isn't, uh, you know, just something to make people feel good. No, if you vote against this, then you're voting for slavery. Um, We're just going to keep hammering that wall, making it clear. Definitely good. I had to throw a few claps in there, yes. Yeah, definitely (laughs) got to make that clear to Joey Hensley and Brian Kelsey. And I don't know the other two oh. uh, senators who voted Frank against Nicely. it. And Frank Nicely. Yeah. 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 It's a cute game, Nicely voting for slavery. You're right. And that's the problem we had in Louisiana where these uh, senators even asked, do you think that if we vote no, we're voting for slavery? And unfortunately at that time, a representative kind of gave away our power by saying, no, I don't think that. He should have been, what you just said, he should have said word for word, and we're hoping this time around he does say that. It is not symbolic. It is very important to everybody in this country and globally because the world is watching. And this is one of the biggest movements we've seen since the antebellum period where all these states involved. This year alone, there are already five states on the ballot, <laughs> already five. Uh, you know, the world sees what's happening right here, and we want change now. And we know that this is a way we can get one change, at least, which is at the core of our issues. You have a 95% white prosecutorial pool issuing out 95% plea bargains that turn people into property. <laughs> and it's very racially oriented. As a matter of fact, are you guys going to hang out with us for a few more minutes? Because uh, I'd like to play something for us to listen to. There's a little commentary about it. And after that, we want to give you a chance to have some closing statements. So another 15 minutes is good? Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right. You said you had something? Awesome. Thank you very much. You said you want to share some information, too, before we go into this track? Well, you know what? Uh, And I I guess this is the thing with all of our guests. We have to bring them back on. Like, we just never have enough time to cover everything we wanted to. I wanted to get into Tricor and just just get some information about the actual industries that exist within the Tennessee prison system. So I'll ask that directly to Raheem and then also, uh, Jeannie, if you have information about that as well, about Tricor. Yeah, so so here's what I know about Tricor. Um, when, When I was caged for pretty much the whole time that I was there, Tricor was this, um, I don't, it was like this hybrid corporation that somehow um, it was able to use the state of Tennessee and use prison labor um, to, cre- uh, to, to produce um, all sorts of commodities from file cabinets to creation of uh, 
uh, prison desk and you name it, uh, printing plants and all sorts of things. And insiders would work in these particular areas where Tricor was set up. And Tricor made promises to individuals who worked for uh, uh, this co- this corporation and said that, like, you know, they would take out so much of their money. Sometimes they would even pay, you know, three to four dollars an hour and they would take money and and uh even sometimes they would even pay minimum wage but not actually because they were taking money for room and board and uh this was not happening for other insiders in addition to that they would set up these accounts and they would take so much more of the other money that people earn and the only way you could get your money you would actually have to be released and if you didn't get out of prison you would not even get your money back. And so when I think of uh, Tricor, I just think of a legal entity that uh, was privileged in the context of business to use uh, prison labor for a profit. Jeannie, do you have anything to add to that? You know, I mean, I don't don't think I have much to add to that. Um, But it's, um, you know, one of the the most evil things about Tricor, too, and I'm just going to be real honest here. I've had a number of conversations with the insiders about um, about not working for Tricor, right? About refusing to go to work for Tricor. Um, and what I hear back so often, and Raheem can probably speak to this as much, if not more than I can, uh, is being told, don't you dare touch Tricor because I have to get some money home to my family some way. And so it's like that, and it is a very much a forced labor, you know, and that's one of the things that Tricor likes to talk about is the, oppor- the opportunities that it presents, so all this good stuff they're doing. And the reality is it's not, it is so, it is so compulsory. Uh, once folks go into one of those plants and families begin to depend on whatever little extra money is going out from it, it's, 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 it's not voluntary once you get sucked in. And then they start charging you if you have those jobs for, like, your room and board in the prison. They start charging you to live there. They even have call centers inside the prisons where, again, this is something the unions should be very concerned with, that these are jobs that uh, people could be feeding their family on the outside. Instead, you're using people who are property. Uh, to get it. And, you know, the inmates need these jobs. They need money. If it was 10 cents an hour, they'd take it because they had nothing else to help pay the cost of being in there. And even the exploitation goes so far as to now uh, they are charging for visitation. So if you want extra visitations or special visitations or you want to visit in a different place, you can pay money for that now in prison. So they're exploiting the families for visiting the prisoners or the inmates. Mm. All right, Yusuf, did you want to add more to the tricor before we get into this track? No, we just we just don't have enough time, Max. All right. Well, um, as you said, we're running across a brick wall, not only on the program but also in real life. Let's hear a little bit about that. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org, with Max Parkus and Yusuf Hassan. Be right back. Abolition, Abolition Today. Also last week during a debate about a bill that would ban schools from teaching, quote, divisive concepts about race and sex, One Louisiana Republican said, and I quote, if you are having a discussion on whatever the case may be on slavery, then you can talk about everything dealing with slavery, the good, the bad, the ugly. Before he was reminded, there was no good to slavery and walked it back. 
During a similar debate uh, today, a Republican member of the Tennessee state legislature gave an unwitting lesson in the importance of accurately and rigorously teaching the real history of slavery and racial oppression in the United States. The three-fifths compromise was a direct effort to ensure that southern states never got the population necessary to continue the practice of slavery everywhere else in the country. What does that mean? Appropriation based on population. That's how we pick. Everybody in here knows we've got nine, I hope I'm right, nine state representatives. By limiting the number of population in the count, they specifically limited the number of representatives that would be available in the slaveholding states, and they did it for the purpose of ending slavery well before Abraham Lincoln, well before a civil war. Do we talk about that? I don't hear that anywhere in this conversation across the country. Last time we visited the Tennessee State House, it was to speak to State Representative London Lamar about the Republican push to keep a bust of one of the founders of the KKK in the state rotunda. She joined us from in front of that bust. She's back tonight after having debated Tennessee's proposed law banning critical race theory. State Representative London Lamar, welcome to you. My understanding, uh, Representative, is that you were on the floor for this debate, and I'm just curious what it was like to be in that room, what that debate was like, your reaction to your uh, colleagues' uh, monologue on the three-fifths compromise. It was a very intense conversation because it's uncomfortable for Republicans to talk about race. And in their attempt to not be held accountable for the historical implications of racism in this country is just unfathomable. I spoke on the floor today because the House sponsor said in his debates on this bill that an anonymous young white girl felt trauma because she felt like an oppressor based on the history of white America and what we've done regarding slavery. And while I don't want any child to feel any sort of trauma, I took this opportunity to bring to light the trauma that black people feel living in America. Black children grow up knowing their whole American history, that the majority of the American history that we live today is of black people being slaves or that more recently our grandparents' whole lives were living through the civil rights movement where they had to drink from colored water fountains, where they couldn't vote, where they were being lynched, where they were being killed, where they were being denied housing, food, and other basic necessities. And most importantly, our whole criminal justice system in America was built on the oppression and the systematic criminalization of black people. So no, we can't just scapegoat or whitewash history so those white Americans now don't have to feel the, the, the repercussions of 400 plus years of enslavement and what that's done to a disadvantaged population such as mine. What we have to do is have these conversations in educational settings to bring context to our students so that we can remember what happened in American history so we won't repeat the horrible things that happened in American history. And my comment, my colleague's comment today brings light to the fact that we need to continue to teach about the history of America regarding racism because he was actually incorrect. The three-fifths compromise was created so that southern states can have more representation in Congress so they counted three per five slaves they counted them as three persons. So we obviously need to continue to talk about race because the Republicans are not even clear on what the issues of the three-fifths compromise or other racism issues in America are. And they had the audacity to clap for it 
and it was wrong. So we have a problem here. And the fact that we're trying to change laws in order to not have a conversation about race is just wrong and it's downright offensive. And, um, you know, and Cita said this earlier, it just 
comes back to remind me, we aren't just talking about the difference between liberal and conservative anymore in these states. We're talking about, particularly in states like Tennessee, the rise of fascism, which we continue to see. Um, and it's like you're talking about people better use the word enslavement, use the word slavery, people better start using that word fascism too and not shying away from it. So, yeah, thank you for that clip. Um, and I uh, got to apologize. I'm going to have to dip out, but thank you so much for this opportunity, and it's so good fighting alongside y'all. Can I ask you one quick question, just real quick before you leave? Yeah. How do people get in contact with you to help you? I have some friends who are in the Quaker community in Tennessee, and they would like to connect with you to be able to help. Absolutely. They can connect to us uh, through our website, um, which is no exceptions prison collective.org. Um, they can also, again, it's no exceptions prison collective.org. They can also connect with us pretty quickly uh, through Facebook. Uh, no exceptions, again, prison collective on Facebook. Um, and that's probably the two quickest ways to, to reach us. And also, thank you, you for know, your always, Oh, sorry, you know, go thank ahead. you. No, I was just going to say you got folks, you know, folks reaching out. You can always give them mine and, and feed us number two. You know that for sure. Okay. Yeah, you can always just reach out to me, but we'll put all that information on our website. Thank you for your de- dedication and bravery in this issue. Like the two representatives, the senator and the representative, you have really stood up along with the rest of us to make sure this happens, and thank you. Thank you so much. Have a blessed Brother Raheem. You too. Yes, thank you. you. Thank you for coming. Yes, I'm still here. No doubt, brother. Uh, we're coming up to the uh, conclusion of our segment, and I want to give you the opportunity to just tell anything you want to say. Uh, maybe mention why it's so important that they get out and vote in 2022, because they're not just voting for someone. You're voting to end slavery. And like Jeannie said, this is no, there's no lukewarm here. If you vote, don't vote, you're voting for slavery. You're going to let it win. So anything you want to get into about that or anything else, and how sure. Yeah. So I mean, that's so much. Like, um, I was at Brother Yusuf who said we don't ever have enough time. Or was it? Was it? Brother Matt. I don't. Yeah. That, that, was, that, was, that was me. Yeah. yeah we brother, go through yeah, this yeah. every show. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, let me just say that we we have to stay on target here. We're finishing the. We're, we're trying to finish the business of, of 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 our ancestors, but even in a different sense or even perhaps larger sense we're trying to take america into the future and it wants to mm-hmm. stay in the past and mm-hmm. so when we when we when we're talking about removing slavery in tennessee i mean no to me there's no 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 tennessee is one of the last slave states to hold out you know to to, to just say okay we surrender and so i'm not surprised but what 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 this is it's it's bigger than just you know some legislation in in a constitutional amendment. We're talking about right. the history of black and white people in America and this 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 uh, tension that we have had ever since black people from Africa Africans were kidnapped and brought still dealing with that and that's what this is about. And so we have to make sure people understand that we're and our model is let's finish it. Because that's what we are attempting to do here in an ultra-Republican state. That's what we're attempting to do 
in the, the the home of the Ku Klux Klan. That's that's what we're attempting to do. And this is about liberation as well, because the implication, historical context here. I mean, everybody in America should be helping us make this real. I mean, we 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 need to raise funds for this. You know, I mean, people need to understand that this isn't just some paperwork here. We're talking about a history where the majority, if not everybody, was deceived into thinking that uh, slavery uh, was abolished. And and it was never abolished. In fact, people credit Lincoln, but I have read letters where Lincoln said if he could save the Union without removing slavery, without freeing Mm -hmm. those who were enslaved, he would do it. And so so what we're trying to, what we're doing here is narrating history in real time, even though we're in the present, we're giving real context of something that we didn't have a say in. I wasn't there and you weren't there and black people weren't there when Tennesseans in 1807 for the third time said, this is the constitution. I wasn't there and you weren't there, but our ancestors were enslaved when the 13th amendment was enacted. So what we're doing here is witnessing, but participating in a historical moment and Whoever is listening, they need to aid and assist us in this process because this is an ongoing fight for justice. This is an ongoing liberation. This is an ongoing exposing, exhuming what was buried, the truth. And we're bringing that out. And it's deeper than what I just said, but I'm just trying to find the words. No, you got it, brother. And so when you talk about needing the help, please give out the information of where they can go to donate, who, whose phones they need to call, who, who, who they need to email, who they need to hit up on social media. Give out all of that information so the people yeah. can come out and give you the assistance uh-huh. that you need. Yeah. So right now, with, as Jenny had just expressed with no exceptions, all her information is, is the same. And um, Unheard Voices Outreach.org, we on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We have a website. You can donate because we represent the voices of the currently and formerly incarcerated. And our efforts, and you talk about division, is for people leaving prisons to be empowered to live a full and free life. And, and as long as this, uh, this, this slavery idea exists, we're going to have felonism because that was a derivative from post-13th Amendment slavery. So you can just donate to our website. That's, it's, it's that simple. And we, we need this help because it's, we got to reach 95 counties. We have to have conversations with people that dislike black people that never even really had a conversation with us. We have to go and have real table talk discussions with people, some of them that never even probably seen a, a, a black person 10 feet away from them. And talking about rural Tennessee. East Tennessee. We're going back West Tennessee. We're going in between. I mean, we're going to take this thing everywhere because we can't afford for people not to participate. And I need to make this clear, who's ever listening. There is this clause, this catch. If you don't vote for a governor in Tennessee, your vote to remove slavery will not even count. And so we have to even create informational packets that's going to cost millions of dollars to make sure that people understand that if they don't vote for a governor to vote to remove slavery won't even count. So they done found a way to try to 
you know, uh, put the odds, stack the odds even more. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot going on here. And also, uh, plug your book, brother. Don't forget your book. Yeah, thank you very much for even uh, giving me that opportunity. So, uh, Save Your Own Life, Choosing the Right Path is Not Always Clear by Raheem. It's on Amazon. And I penned that book for troubled youth who may be going through some things in life. And it was meant to be an interactive book. It's short prose. It's using poetry. It's anecdotal. It's my real life. I'm not quoting any scholars and authorities. I'm just giving the real, real, real for my real life. And I'm, you know, going across the state everywhere I can go to speak. And I would like to put my book in the hands of every young person who is in a juvenile institution, is in school suspension, who is grounded at home somewhere to show them that there is something so strong inside of them that if they just sit still enough, it'll speak. It's not necessarily words, but it's the spirit of who we are. If you believe in a a divine power, you can call it that. If you believe in ancestors, we can call it that. But it's there, and it's real. And that's how I survived 26 years caged from gang fights to my sister being murdered to all my grandparents dying to my dad dying while I was in prison and me seeing this man in the casket and not having no emotions because I didn't even know who he was. I mean, I all it's in my book, and it's a short book. So, yeah, brother, I appreciate that. It's Save Your Own Life. Choosing the right path is not always clear. It's only $12. Man, I caught that reference to La Vista Freeze, Something Inside So Strong, one of my favorite songs, man. Yeah, it, it is. Absolutely. We, yeah. we have the blood of superheroes in us, man. What we had to go through, what our ancestors had to go through just for the most simplest of things. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we had the opportunity to finish their work. And you, you said it goes way beyond. And they need resources. California is right. trying to raise tens of millions because they have to to get this done. Uh, same as, as Texas. So Tennessee has got to fight against monsters. And if you're listening and you've got the resources, send them their way. Thank you, Brother Raheem. We appreciate you, man. Um, but thank you, Brother Max, and you too. Um, this is a blessing. And uh, look, I'll come on anytime. In fact, I'll fly your way. I need, look, I'm, I'm available because I. I'm I'm so much more than what you heard, and I'm saying, like, I just want to say this to your listeners. If you're a black person, you're one of the strongest individuals on the planet, and I'm saying that because of what our ancestors had to endure for us to be here today. And that DNA is still in us, and all we have to do is awaken that. And there are different ways you can pray, you can do meditation, you can study, you can do rituals, you can connect back to the motherland, whatever you do, but... It's in you, and we can do this, and we got this, and we got the truth on our side. In the universe, in the melanin, everything, we're going to make this happen, brother. I appreciate your time. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, The program isn't over yet. We still got one more segment left, and I think that uh, if you're listening, you're going to really enjoy this uh, next segment that's coming up. But before that, uh, I just want to say thank you to our listeners. Thank you, Yusuf, as always, and to our guests, Brother Raheem, Jimmy Alexander, and Peter Murphy for joining us from Tennessee United uh, and the heroic work they're doing to finally end slavery 
uh, at least in the Constitution, and open up the door to the beginning, because that's what it is. This is not the end-all, be-all, but without this, you can't go no further. As long as slavery is legal, it's going to be in practice. So we have to stop that and then see what happens, because we've never seen what happens after that. Uh, Yusuf? Well, thank you, Max. Uh, Once again, happy anniversary to you and my beautiful sister, Tribal Rain. You know, uh, thanks to our guests, our listeners. It was just a tremendous show. We always run out of time. You know, I've been advocating for that third hour, so we're going to see if that ever happens. But we'll just still continue to run out of time, so we'll figure it out. But uh, thank everyone for tuning in this this evening. We had a lot of new listeners, you know, from when I went up to – Boston yesterday, a lot of people say, yeah, I'm going to tune in because I didn't even realize that inside the pamphlet that it even had, you know, mentioned about abolition today. So I know we're going to have some new listeners on this evening. Please come back. Please check our archives. So before I get into just promoting our archives, I just want to shout out our sponsors, uh, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, the IME Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Sema Urge, that's Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice. The Paul Coffey Abolitionist Center, where Max broadcasts from every Sunday, Prismatic Dreams, and the Abolished Slavery National Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash abolition today. That page will have all the news, information, and music that you hear in the program. We're also available on all major podcast platforms. So you want to go all the way back to our first episode, March 15th, 2020, or go to March 12th. 2020 when we did our live test and you just hear Max and I talking to each other and playing with the dials, <laughs> you know, but uh, remember to join the movement at abolishslavery.us. That's to become uh, to join in on the Abolish Slavery National Network. You can also text in the exception to 52886 and follow the prompts. This will send a signed petition on your behalf to the congressional reps in support of the proposed 28th Amendment to repeal and replace the exception clause to the 13th Amendment. Also, make sure that you visit our YouTube, uh, not our YouTube page, our Facebook page, uh, Abolition Today. You'll find all of the articles and links for all of the information that you heard on this broadcast and any of the other broadcasts. And so we'll get into our Bridging the Gap segment where this week, we have it's a speech delivered by Frederick Douglass in 1841 that's going to be read by David Fesselian, and it's called Church and Prejudice. If Jesus, and it's going to be followed up by Anira Chavez, uh, alumna of the Tennessee State University, and it's entitled If Jesus Was Black. I'm going to be really excited to hear this one, Mac. Well, you know, 73% of Tennesseans uh, say that they are extremely religious. So I think as Mm -hmm. a closing segment, this is going to be very peaceful and enjoy the program. Abolition. 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 A speech. Written and delivered by Frederick Douglass at the Plymouth Church Anti-Slavery Society, 
December 1841. The black man's place in the old-time religion, church, and prejudice. At the South, I was a member of the Methodist Church. When I came North, I thought one Sunday I would attend communion at one of the churches of my denomination. The white people gathered around the altar. The blacks clustered by the door. After the good minister had served out the bread and wine to one portion of those near him, he said, these may withdraw and others come forward. Thus he proceeded till all the white members had been served. Then he drew a long breath and looking out towards the door exclaimed, come up colored friends, come up. For you know, God is no respecter of persons. I haven't been there to see the sacraments taken since. At New Bedford, there was a great revival of religion not long ago. Many were converted and received, as they said, into the kingdom of heaven. Among those who experienced religion at this time was a colored girl. The deacon handed round the cup and she tasted. Now next to her sat a young lady who had been converted at the same time, baptized in the same water, and had put her trust in the same blessed Savior. Yet, when the cup containing the precious blood, which had been shed for all, came to her, she rose in disdain and walked out the church. Such was the religion she had experienced. Another young lady fell into a trance. When she awoke, she declared she had been to heaven. Her friends were all anxious to know what and who she had seen there. So she told the whole story. But there was one good old lady whose curiosity went beyond that of the others, and she inquired of the girl if she saw any black folks in heaven. After some hesitation, the reply was, Oh, I didn't go into the kitchen. Thus, you see, this prejudice goes even into the church of God. And there are those who carry it so far that it is disagreeable to them even to think of going to heaven if colored people are going there too. Yet people in general will say that they like colored men as well as any other but in their proper place. They assign us that place. They don't let us do it for ourselves, nor will they allow us a voice in the decision. They will not allow that we have a head to think and a heart to feel and a soul to aspire. They treat us not as men, but as dogs. They cry, stew boy and expect us to run and do their bidding. That's the way we are like. You degrade us 
and then ask us why we are degraded. You shut our mouths and then ask why we don't speak. You close your colleges and seminaries against us and then you ask why we don't know more. But all this prejudice sinks into insignificance in my mind when compared with the enormous iniquity of the system which is its cause. The system that sold my four sisters and my brother into bondage and which calls in its priest to defend it even from the Bible. The slave-holding ministers preach up the divine right of the slave owners to property in their fellow men. The southern preachers say to the poor slave, Oh, if you wish to be happy in time, happy in eternity, you must be obedient to your masters. Their interest is yours. God made one portion of men to do the working and another to do the thinking. How good God is. Now you have no trouble or anxiety, but ah, you can't imagine how perplexing it is to your masters and mistresses to have so much thinking to do in on your behalf. You cannot appreciate your blessings. You know not how happy a thing it is for you that you were born of that portion of the human family which has the working instead of the thinking to do. Oh, how grateful and obedient you ought to be to your masters. How beautiful are the arrangements of providence. Look at your hand, horny hand. See how nicely they are apt to the labor you have to perform. Look at your delicate fingers, so exactly fitted for our station, and see how manifest it is that God designed us to be his thinkers and you his workers. Oh, the wisdom of God. I used to attend a Methodist church in which my master was the class leader. He would talk most sanctimoniously about the dear Redeemer who was sent to preach deliverance to the captives and set at liberty them that are bruised. He could pray at morning. He, he could pray at noon and pray at night. Yet, he could lash up my poor cousin by his two thumbs and inflict stripes and blows upon his bare back to the blood stream to the ground all the time quoting scripture for his authority and appealing to the passage of the holy bible which says he that knoweth his master's will and doeth it not shall be beaten with many stripes such was the amount of this good, good, good Methodist piety. I wonder who will walk out of heaven if Jesus revealed himself as a black man with a head full of dreads, 
skin color of bronze? Would you regurgitate the racial slurs sitting in the bottom of your throat? Would you spit in his face, grab all your belongings and march out the gates of heaven? Would you be too ashamed to worship a God with a skin shade of moonlight? Would you rally up in hatred and build a wall around the premises of heaven to make your conceptualized kingdom great again? Would you conjure the rage of your great-grandfather's hands, find the nearest tree and rope to lynch Jesus because the pigment of his skin was too harsh? It made you feel uncomfortable and belligerent. Within a split second, three bullets penetrated his chest. You watched them take his last breath and uttered the words, that boy deserved to die. Tell me, why do we suddenly become quiet when we see racial injustices digging holes for the next dead body in our front yard? We rest in silence as if we weren't called to be the salt and light of the world. Silent, as if Jesus wouldn't be praying for reconciliation. Standing with the families of Breonna Taylor, Rashad Brooks, Sandra Bland, and countless of other victims who have died for being black and unarmed. Even Jesus flipped a few tables. Outraged by the ugliness of hypocrisy, we must learn how to be courageous in our faith and speak out against iniquity. The last time I checked, God was a God of justice and equality. So put some respect on my father's name and stop making a mockery out of his word. Tell me, where were the saints during Charleston church shooting? It should have been us Christians praying in unison the following morning after a night of mourning, demonstrating a peaceful protest, a sense of togetherness between all denominations. I don't understand how we can be so quick to condemn all sins except racism. We cherry pick our favorite scripture, skip the verses that clearly state all sins are equal. Woe to the Christian who only loves Jesus if he is depicted white as snow in their prejudiced mind. One day you will witness why racism isn't welcome in heaven. There will be no Mason Dixon line redlining or any kind of lining to divide his kingdom. A space non-tolerant to any pre-existing evil that once lurked, colonized the earth, stripped away her innocence and glory. What will you say to God when he turns his back on you for using his word to oppress your marginalized brothers and sisters? For me, my hope isn't planted in this democracy because I know there will be a glorious day. After the cracking of the sky, every black child will be safe in heaven. There will be no blood soaking between the pavement cracks, a river of black blood streaming down my neighborhood. No trauma, no tears, no funerals, just love. The sound of love echoing into eternity. Abolition. 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 Abolition.